United Soccer Coaches is proud to present the United Soccer Coaches podcast, presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer broadcaster Dean Linky. That's right, the NSCAA is now United Soccer Coaches. We aren't changing who we are, just what you call us. We unite coaches at every level of the game around the passion of the game. Now, Here's our host, Dean Linky. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. I'm Dean Linky. Delighted to be with you and thankful to each and every one of the members of the United Soccer Coaches and their great administration. With that, you had to be living under a cave and deep under a cave if you did not see the incredible movie-like opening day for Zlatan Ibrahimovic for the Los Angeles Galaxy. What a goal, what a game winner, what a come-from-behind win, and what a big-time personality. What a pickup for Major League Soccer. What a pickup for soccer in this country as we watch the great Zlatan get it done, and you know more great moments are going to be coming like that. Well, Ziggy Schmidt is his head coach at the LA Galaxy, and he takes us kind of behind the scenes on the whispers of a first coming, then him not coming, then arriving, treating him like any other player, wanting to put him in, the trainer saying, hang on, not yet, and then he goes in, and it was as loud as it can possibly be. He tells you that entire story in segment one. It's fantastic. Then segment two, we bounce around with all kinds of questions coming from the United Soccer Coaches, Ian Barker and the gang. He talks about how youth soccer coaches should address their team. He talks about three things to make sure the USA never misses another World Cup. He compares the college and academy players to Central and South American players and At the end, he talks about why he took the job as the advocacy chair for United Soccer Coaches for the pro level as he wants to make sure that pro coaches get integrated with all of the other coaches, college coaches, youth coaches, high school coaches, and so much more with United Soccer Coaches. Truly uniting all of us. What a debut for Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Ziggy Schmidt breaks it down when we come back. Still managing your club or league on paper and spreadsheets? Go paperless with Team Snap. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, they have way fewer paper cuts. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com/United. Once again. Here's Dean Linky. I am Dean Linky. This is the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. And as we told you, we're going big today. The head coach of the LA Galaxy, the legendary head coach for so many years of Major League Soccer with the U.S. under-20s, the U.S. World Cup team in 1994. Amazing success at UCLA where he won two national championships. Talking about the great Ziggy Schmid. Ziggy, thanks uh, for being with us here on the podcast. Dean, it's great. I'm really happy to be on with you guys. All right. Well, we're going to get to your role as uh, the advocacy chair representing the pro level for the United Soccer Coaches in our second segment. But right now, everybody, as you know, wants to talk to you about the great Zlatan Ibrahimovic. And first off, Ziggy, let's go back to the early whispers that he might be coming. What do you remember about that time and how you were feeling about the thought of him joining your team? Well, you know, if somebody would have said to me, uh, you know, two years ago that I'd be coaching Zlatan Ibrahimovic, I would have said, you're crazy. <laughs> you know, we'll take some money and bet some that ain't going to happen. Uh, you know, they came to the Galaxy, and I knew I knew a situation had fallen through due to his injury, uh, but I knew there were still some conversations going on. Uh, we already had three DPs at the time, so we didn't, 
uh, didn't think anything might happen of it, weren't quite sure. Uh, and at the end of the day, you know, everything sort of fell into place. So we, we had set ourselves up so we could have the room as a, a TAM player uh, to bring him in under those conditions if for some reason he decided that's what he wanted to do. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was something certainly that we we weren't sure was going to happen, but we hoped might happen. And how long ago was it when they came to you and said, Ziggy, it's happening, he's coming, and this is when he's coming? Uh, it probably got more definite around the, uh, let's say, around the beginning of March, okay. around the start of the season or so. Uh, you know, it's like, hey, this is, we think it's going to happen. We're just trying to work out now the, the timing of it and and when he'll come and how this all interrelates with, with Man United and all that good stuff. So uh, it's really at the beginning of March. Okay, so here he comes, and we all saw the video. You guys do such a great job as a franchise, you know, chronicling what went down and even your first visit with him as well. What do you remember about, uh, you know, when he first arrived just a few days before the incredible goals, plural, what do you remember about, you know, first meeting him and everything? Well, you know, I mean, he only had one training session with the team. Uh, so that was, you know, that was interesting. And, you know, our main thing was we wanted to treat him like everybody else on the team. And uh, so we have a thing where, you know, players have to tell us some things we don't know about them. And they got to either finish with a song or a joke. And uh, he complied. You know, I won't tell you what his joke was <laughs> or, what, or what his three things were, but uh, that's for us. But, you know, he was he was just regular. He came out and he trained. And, you know, we uh, we checked on him because we knew the travel and time change, lack of sleep that happens to guys all the time. And, uh, you know, said, hey, do you, how do you feel about being on the bench? And he said, look, I'm okay being on the bench. I think I have, you know, X amount of minutes in me. And we said, okay, let's let's look at it. Let's see how you feel again the next morning uh, to not put yourself in a bad situation. But he was uh, he was obviously a regular guy. For me, for me, the things that were so impressive is, A, a you forget how big he is. I mean, he is a big dude. <laughs> and, uh, and you also don't realize how strong he is. I mean, we had... We had some guys, you know, going against them. I think Michael Ciani, who's a pretty big guy himself, went against them in, in one practice duel, and, and he came out like uh, he was just a rag doll. So, uh, you know, I think on top of his skill level, everybody knows his skill level and appreciates that. I don't know if people really realize how strong he is and, and how big he is. Okay, so when you're watching that first practice, then we'll get to the game. When you're watching the first practice – can you admit that it was hard to keep your eyes off of him? I mean, I got to believe everybody's eyes were on him, right? Yeah, everybody's eyes were on him. The first practice for us, though, was the day before the game, and we we had an afternoon game the next day, so we really didn't do much at that training. It was just playing a little bit of uh, a 5v2, you know, and you're watching him, and you realize also for a big guy, he's got some pretty soft feet, mm -hmm. uh, big feet but soft feet. And, uh, you know, his touch is really good, you know, and his vision and his ability to find balls and he pinged in passes. And, you know, so, I mean, I mean, you can tell, you can tell quality players. It doesn't, it doesn't take you, you know, 30 minutes into practice to figure out this guy's qualities. You see it right away by how they touch the ball, how they receive the ball, how their body balance is, you know, all those things are giveaways. 
Okay, so then you roll into the game, and you already said that you had the discussion with him about coming off the bench, so you're already set with that. Can you kind of set the table for us that weren't there, like the, the how loud the screams were for him to come in, and was that kind of constant, or when was that going on? No, I mean, obviously we we didn't have a good first half for a first hour, uh, but I think definitely we didn't have a good first half. We had a little bit more of the game than I think people realize when you watch it. We actually had some good chances, but we certainly got caught on the counter, and we didn't deal with that very, very well. So we're down. Uh, we get into the second half. We get it. We take a goal really early, uh, but we were we were starting to play much better. And uh, you know, things we had talked about at halftime, the guys implemented. We pushed higher up the field. We had better balance, so we avoided the counter. Uh, you know, pretty much, and and uh, you know, so now we got a goal back. So now we're at three one and we've got like 30 minutes to go. And, you know, I know I'm saying, Hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to bring slots on, on. And, you know, my feeling was, okay, three, one, maybe I should bring him on now. And, and now, now my fitness coach is saying, look, we should really hold them to like 20. I think if we go much beyond that, uh, we stand the chance of, of injury uh, gets increased. So like I was anxious, I wanted to sort of bring him in and, uh, you know, but then I got held back a little bit, yeah. uh, and saying, no, you can't bring him in right now. So we, so we sort of waited our turn, waited our time. And obviously by that time, the crowd had seen he was up and, you know, he was taking off his, uh, his sweats and he was getting ready to come in the game. So the chance started, you know, we want slot on, we want slot on. And as he said, after the game, they wanted slot on. So he gave him slot on. <laughs> So he gets on, and four minutes later, and Ziggy, we were talking before we came on the show about all you have seen, your time in Germany, then coming over here and with the different national team levels and you know several different pro teams and on and on and on. You've seen a lot of stuff. Maybe we use a different S word. I mean, where, where does that rank four minutes in, the way he struck that, I mean, the swerve on the ball, just the dynamic of him delivering under the big lights? Well, I mean, it's obviously one of the best goals I've ever seen. I'm certainly, certainly one of the best goals I've ever seen live. You know, I mean, I've seen a couple of pretty neat bicycle uh, kicks that Carlos Ruiz hit and, and some other goals along the way. But this one, for its audacity, <laughs> is, uh, you know, is probably the best way to put it. You know, the ball bouncing and, and I could see him start to wind up and I go, man, he's going to try this. And, and just having, the confidence, the audacity, the willingness to do it, the vision of seeing the goalkeeper off his line and striking the ball as purely as he did. Uh, those are things that, uh, you know, they come together and, and it's a thing of absolute beauty. And as that thing hit the back of the net, I remember I just, I just turned to Dominic Kinnear and I just said, that's world class. That's just world class. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can say as the opposing coach. Hey, goalkeeper you should have saved that or done that it was just that's something that comes from the heavens and uh you know i think everybody who was there in the stadium watching on tv is great but to be in the stadium and to experience and listen to the explosion after that goal is is something that you're blessed with i mean it's something that you can you can never recreate and it's a memory you'll never forget so now the place is going nuts and do you think the guy can do more like he did i mean are you kidding me? Like uh, all the time, knowing going back to 94 to 96, trying to build this league and all the mistakes that were made. And now 
on the biggest stage with one of the biggest stars, did you know he could do more and get that winner? Well, you know, we were actually, at that point, being 3-3, three, three, we were sort of saying, okay, this is pretty good. <laughs> we got ourselves back here, and we're maybe going to get a point. Uh, but then we we felt that we continued to put some pressure on them. They came down and hit the post, uh, which we were very fortunate with, but we were starting to put more pressure on. And then, you know, we made a decision. We could have came with a forward, but he was a little bit of an inexperienced player, and we decided to keep Ashley Cole on as an experienced player, let him push up onto the wing, figuring he could maybe get us something. And then, uh, you know, right at, right at about the 90th minute mark, uh, Ashley gets forward and it's again slots on realizing if he goes for that ball, he's off sides. So veering off his run, letting Ashley go to the ball. And, and then, you know, that's where his size comes into play. You know, the cross is there. He, he gets his head on it. He's big, he's strong, he's accurate. And, uh, if it was loud after his first goal, it was absolutely deafening after his second goal. I mean, it's storybook, right? And with MLS continuing to make strides from where you sit, is there anything better as far as continued momentum for this league than what we saw right there from the great Zlatan? No, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's fantastic. You know, I mean, obviously our league, uh, MLS has gone through a lot of growth and a lot of changes. Uh, you know, there's still some people in Europe that look upon it as a retirement league. I'll tell you right now, it's not a retirement league. Uh, Slatan is in a class by himself. I mean, he's in a, he's in a handful of players that are, are world class players that for years and years were always talk of who's going to get player of the year. He was always in that grouping. So he's special. Uh, overall, the league has gone in a different direction of trying to get younger DPs like a Miguel Almiron, people like that, or uh, like our Alessandrini, who's in, in his mid-20s. And, and that's certainly the way to go because our league is an energetic league. But when you get a chance to get a player like Slaton or David Villa, those guys are special. Those guys have unique qualities. Age is, doesn't define them as it does mere mortals, so to speak. Yeah. It doesn't define the average player. And and so when you can get a special player like that for our league, uh, it is still something to behold. With that final question, this segment of two segments, and it was a question that came in from the coaches and the United Soccer coaches when they knew that I was going to interview you, and that is, do you change Ziggy at all in your management of such a big presence ego coming into an established squad? I, you know, any coach who says you treat every player the same is lying, yep. uh, especially at the pro level, because they're all different. They're all human beings. They all have different personalities and different characters. So you, so you treat your team overall reasonably the same, but individually, I think to be a good coach, you treat everybody a little bit differently. Uh, obviously, when you get a player in like Slaton, he's a new player, so the first thing you're trying to do is get a feel for him and his personality. Uh, he's a very confident player. Uh, you know, I call it confidence. Some people want to call it arrogance, but he's very confident. But he also walks the walk, uh, you know, and he backs it up. Uh, so, you know, that's something that uh, was evident early on. And, and so we're just trying right now to see, hey, you know, does this work for you? Uh, you know, what exactly? You know, here's our training regimen. This is what we need from you. Uh, what do you need from us? Uh, and uh, trying to make it 
a very cooperative situation where where we get the best out of him and uh, and he gets the best out of us as well. What an amazing even behind the scenes look at uh, the great Ibrahimovic coming to the LA Galaxy segment one with Ziggy Schmid back at the LA Galaxy where he belongs. We'll come back and talk to Ziggy Schmid about youth soccer in this country. Maybe three keys to make sure the U.S. never misses a World Cup and then also his role in advocacy for the United Soccer Coaches at the pro level. Ziggy Schmid, what a breakdown of the incredible debut of Zlatan Ibrahimovic. More with Ziggy after this. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. What a first segment with Ziggy Schmidt breaking down that incredible day for Zlatan Ibrahimovic and that come from behind down three zip to LAFC and they get the win behind his incredible heroics and perhaps one of the greatest goals you'll ever see. Ziggy, thanks so much again for going so in-depth on that. Uh, It's one of those that uh, will make you smile at night, right, as you sleep here thinking about the next game for sure. I mean, it's got to be pretty exciting, right? I mean, he's been on ESPN everything, right, going crazy? (laughs) He's been going crazy. I mean, the the media clamoring, uh, it says the press conference had as many cameras as I can ever remember for anything, including the World Cup. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. All right, I love it. All right, well, speaking of the World Cup, you know, another question that came in from the United Soccer Coaches is we quickly polled them, what might be two or three keys for U.S. soccer to make sure we never do miss a World Cup again, Ziggy? Everybody has their own ideas there, and, and, you know, nobody's ideas are wrong, you know, completely. And uh, nobody's ideas, I think, are completely correct either. Uh, One for me is we can't panic, okay? We can't panic, and sit there and say, okay, this is, you know, this all of a sudden is death's doom because uh, we didn't make the World Cup. Because when you look back at where we were, we've come an awful long way. Uh, the things for me, though, that we need to do maybe a little bit better or need to make sure we incorporate as one is our, our identification of talent, I think, needs to improve. Uh, I think we identify good players, uh, but I think sometimes in our identification process we're identifying players who are good at a number of different things and i think for players to get up to and really produce at the optimum level they have to have some special qualities and i think sometimes we we don't look for that special quality in a player you know we'd rather take the player who's good at four or five different things uh and not a guy who's maybe special at one thing but still has to improve on some other areas. And so I think we got to do a better job of identifying players that have a special quality and not throwing them away, uh, you know, you know, too soon. And it's like, you know, people say, and Ibrahimovic now is a good example. Some people say Messi would have struggled to make it in our country because we don't give the opportunity to smaller players. You know, I almost say a guy like Ibrahimovic might struggle in our country because maybe at 13 or 14, he was not as coordinated because of his size 
as the other 13 and 14 year old. And so maybe then his special quality, his strength, his ability to pull off things, plays, his confidence, his character would have maybe been ignored. So identifying special qualities is really important. The second thing for me is competition. And, uh, and some people might not like to hear me say this, but we have too many academies. Okay. And too many academies from a standpoint of there's too many non-competitive games. And so as a result, whether we, uh, put the academies into divisions, you know, whatever you want to call it, division one, division two, division A, division B, uh, I really don't care, but we have to make sure that there's competition because players, they can train all they want. They improve the most in games and they improve the most in competitions. So we got to make sure that our players get competitive games week in and week out. Winning a game six, seven, eight, nothing, uh, is not going to help that player grow and is not going to help that player develop. Uh, and then the third thing for me is trying to create an environment where kids like to play and for kids to really make it, they have to want to play the game on their own, not just, Oh, you know, 430. It's time for practice. Coach is there. He brought the soccer balls. The nets are up. Okay. Let's go play. It's no, there's, there's no nets. There's a tree. I'm defending this tree. You defend that tree. And me and my buddies are going to play three against three mm. against each other. We got to make sure that we don't lose that. We've never had that in as great a quantity in the United States as it has been in other countries. But we need to get even more of it. We have more of it now than we used to, but we need to get even more of it. Kids need to enjoy that part of it. And maybe even as young coaches, we need to create what I call that structured, unstructured environment. Create environments at training where they just play four against four. You just got one four against four game here, another four against four game there. And don't instruct them and don't teach them and let them play and let them keep score because the true joy of playing and trying, you know, for lack of a better word, trying the S word, trying different things at training is what all of a sudden makes you a special player. Clint Dempsey is a player who always did special and unique things for the U.S. on the soccer field with the national team. But he grew up playing soccer in an environment where you went out and played mm. and you just tried things because there was no coach to say, hey, how come you did that? Why would you try that? You would see things, you know, and you would try and emulate what you saw on TV or you would try and emulate something you heard about. And so we've got to make sure we create an environment and maybe it's creating that environment at training or within your club somehow where kids can just play without being coached, where they can just try, you know, just try things and experiment. Sorry for the long answer. No, that's a great answer. Are you kidding me? Don't be sorry at all. It was fantastic. And along those lines, what should youth coaches be drawing on and sharing with youth players? Their experience and their passion for the game. You know, I think the biggest thing a youth coach can pass on to his players is his passion for the game. You know, his love of the game, his enjoyment in the game, his want to be around the game, uh, to watch the game. Those are all things that are, I think, the most important elements to pass on. Obviously, we can talk about all the more details at a younger age, let them play with the ball, let them develop their technical abilities. The tactical stuff can come later. Uh, even some of the passing stuff can come later, and you want to make sure you pass that on. But to pass on your passion 
to pass on your joy, the fun part of the game, uh, so kids get excited where every day you walk out to practice, whether it's cold and rainy or sunny and hot, you say, it can't be a better day than this because I'm on the soccer field with a soccer ball and with my friends, and we're playing a game we love. Bouncing around with Ziggy Schmidt, covering all topics as submitted by members of the United Soccer Coaches and Ian Barker. How are U.S. Academy products and U.S. college products, and maybe you can differentiate, matching up with South and Central American talent in the league, Ziggy? You know, age is an individual thing. You know, what I mean by that is, is there's some 17-year-olds that are are like 21-year-olds, and there's some 23-year-olds that are more like 17-year-olds. And so I think we get hung up sometimes with saying if you don't make it when you're 17 or 18, then you're not going to make it. Or we end up saying, hey, if you if you go to college route rather than the pro route, then you're maybe not going to make it in the pros. I think there's different roads for everybody. There's different times of development for everybody. You look at a guy like Chris Wondolowski, who uh, I think by the age of 25 had hardly scored any goals in the league, and now all of a sudden is about to break Landon Donovan's record because he was a late bloomer mm-hmm. and a late developer. So, so you can't lose those guys in that process either. So I think there's roads that you can continue to develop, whether it's college or whether it's through the academy system and that. And I think we got to put less pressure on kids of saying, hey, if you're not good enough at 17, it ain't going to happen for you. Uh, no, if you're good and maybe you're not the top guy, you still push on. And I look at my days at UCLA, and I always remember a story that I always remember and try not to bore people with the story. But uh, the under-20 team and might have been the 91 team, the team that went to Australia, to play in the under-20s, and Bobby Howe was coaching them. Their last game they played before they went to Australia was against us at UCLA. And they had a good team. Jeff Kassar was on the team, and they had some other players that ended up playing in MLS afterwards as well. Okay, and that was considered the top players. Okay, on my team, and we beat them one nothing. I'll throw in, on my team, I had four players who were not selected for the under-20 team, who were not considered good enough at that time. And those four players were Greg Vanny, Ante Razoff, Eddie Lewis, and Frankie Hayduk. Wow. And all four of those guys had pretty good careers. But if they would have listened to everybody at 18, 19 and said, hey, you're not even good enough yet to make the under 20s, uh, you know, it's too late for you, uh, those guys might not have ended up having the careers and the success that they had. And that's just an example of, of you got to keep working at it because, you know, different guys break through at different times. And the 17-year-old that makes it big is the exception. He's not the rule. He's the exception. What an answer. Just a few more here coming from the United Soccer Coaches. A lot of times you know about these coaching families, head coaches that have a couple assistant coaches that they've been with forever. How do you make sure that they develop as assistant coaches and can move on and become a head coach? Well, you let them do more things than put down the cones. Yep. You know, so I know sometimes, you know, it's head coaches and, and I come from the German school of coaching because that's, uh, around the coaches that I sort of grew up with even here in the States. And the German method is the head coach does everything, you know, and the assistant coach does very little in England. The head coach is more the manager 
and then you have the assistant coach is really the coach who does the activity. But for me, it's always been about with my coaches is a in our pre-practice meetings and our planning meetings is we have open exchanges. I want to hear their ideas. Oftentimes I want to hear their ideas before I give them my ideas because I want to hear what they're thinking and then we'll talk about it. I allow my assistant coaches to run segments of practice. I also allow my assistant coaches to do individual work with players after. And then, you know, sometimes we'll sit down if I see something and I'll say, hey, this is just based on my experience. This is what I, I notice. This is what works for me. You might want to think about this or think about that. You know, but you try, you also try and teach them. You always got to coach from your base point of your personality. You can't try and coach like somebody else. You can't watch a coach and say, hey, I really like that guy. I'm going to try and emulate him. You might emulate some of the things that you see him do, but you can never try and take on his persona Mm. because that would be untrue. And players would see that untruth in very rapid succession, especially at the pro level, and they would see right through you and you would lose them. So they, they have to know that you're being honest and passionate and true. And so you try and teach your coaches to always coach from the base point of their personality. But you give them opportunities to coach. You let them exchange ideas. You have open discussions. You explain why you're doing things so that everybody gets a feel for it and understanding of it. Final two, as you break down your career, 80 to 99, all that success at your alma mater, UCLA. During that time, you're with the 94 World Cup team. You're on the bench with Bora. Then you go back to UCLA, make the decision to kind of take a look before leaving UCLA in 1999. Then you're with the Galaxy from 99 to 04. You're with the crew from 06 to 08, Seattle 09 to 16, and back with the Galaxy final thing here is you look at it your decision to wait and then your take on the evolution of major league soccer right before your very eyes well my decision to wait was was not because i was making a lot of money at ucla so i'll say that <laughs> to begin with i think at the time i was the lowest paid coach in the pac-10 but oh my goodness. uh i had interviewed with some teams uh at the at the outset of uh, mls uh in that very first year and uh, the situations, the two main teams I interviewed with, I didn't think the situations were right. I didn't think uh, the team uh, organizationally was set up in a manner uh, that was really conducive to, uh, to producing a good team. Sometimes it was just a uh, lack of training facilities, uh, the lack of concern with the importance of the little things. You know, it was like, okay, we got our stadium, we got to schedule the games, and we're in a pro league, rather than where are we going to train, mm-hmm. how are we going to put together our staff, uh, you know, what's our medical side look like. Uh, all of those things sort of were uh, not only secondary, sometimes third and fourth. And so for me, it was just not the right situation to step into. Uh, so I ended up waiting uh, as a result, and then after coming back from the Youth World Cup, uh, had a meeting with uh, Mr. Anschutz, and uh, Phil offered me the opportunity to come to the Galaxy at that time point, and uh, I had a good feeling of where his heart was and his desire to support the game, and I felt it was the right time to go. And with that, the evolution right before your very eyes, are you kidding me with uh, these sold-out stadiums? It's unreal. No, I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, 
everybody's got stadiums and that as i said when it first started and when we first did at that time home depot now stub up uh you know putting roots into the ground is what stadiums represented and once you put roots in the ground that showed me that the league was here to stay the owners were committed to it over a full time Finally here, uh, final question for you, Ziggy. As we know, you're part of United Soccer Coaches Advocacy Council as the chair of the Professional Coaches Member Group. Are there issues or concerns that the Coaches Association may be able to help Major League Soccer and other professional coaches, or are there just specific issues you want to attack when your season is over? No, I mean, I think there's definitely things that uh, that can be helpful that, the, uh, you know, that the Soccer Coaches Association can do uh, in supporting uh, in supporting the pro coaches. We've got to bring the pro coaches closer to, to the Soccer Coaches Association because the college coaches are there and the youth coaches are there, but, but the pro coaches are not there. So we've got to establish that connection and grow that connection. There's also things when, as coaches right now, uh, you know, our, our jobs are not always the most stable. So so what can we, how can we maybe help establish things like pension programs or medical insurance uh, that goes outside your realm of job and, you know, something that can help your family in those transitional periods where you're between one job and the other. I mean, we can't complain. We all make a decent income, uh, but there's other coaches in the pro level, assistant coaches, et cetera, who don't make that same amount of income. And and when they're out of a job for six months, it does put some hardship on their families. And so if we can help them in certain situations, so whatever those kind of connections are and establishments that we can do, that's something that the Coaches Association can help provide the professional coaches. And I know that's uh, a key reason why Lynn Berlin Manuel wanted you to lead this charge. Ziggy Schmidt, you're always so good to me during our time with the 94 World Cup team, and I feel like we could keep talking several stories, but uh, thanks so much for breaking down the great arrival of Zlatan Ibrahimovic and all the other questions that the coaches wanted to ask you, Ziggy. You were perfect as always. Thanks so much for being with us. Dean, thanks. It was a pleasure being on. By being a member of the United Soccer Coaches, you are a part of the world's largest network of soccer coaches. Here, you can find coaches who are passionate about bettering themselves and their players. Go to unitedsoccercoaches.org to find out more. Now, once again, here's our host, Dean Linky.